All right. Uh, good morning, listeners, and uh, welcome to this week's news from the drug war front. Um, my name is Jeff, and my co-presenter is Marion. Good morning. Good morning, Jeffrey, and good morning, my loves. How are you all? What a beautiful morning it is this morning. Believe me, it's a little bit on the chilly side, but the sun is out, and it doesn't look like there's a cloud in the sky, or it didn't look like it out my window, and no wind. So no matter the fact that it was a little bit chilly this morning at five o'clock, I can tell you because it was up <laughs> and I didn't have my doona on the bed, um, it is chilly, but get yourself a cup of coffee. We'll play you some music in a minute. We'll do our intro, a normal intro about karma, but have a listen because we want to talk to you seriously this week. In I mean, it's always serious. Bottom line, we talk about harm reduction but we also need to talk about discrimination and how you get treated when you're already on an opiate replacement therapy, whether you are actually treated as a human being or as not COVID, not important, yeah. or a drug-seeking behaviour It's a long-standing issue, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah I, look, the, it's just, yeah, I, it's unbelievably um, irritating if to think that if anybody any doctor anybody's doctor treats you like that, you need to educate them, and they need to be educated. I think we need to get onto the AMA and say, get out there and educate educate yourselves first about drug use. Well, you wonder how much why. training they get as doctors in, in medical school. But. Well. I've got theories about that, Jeff, but we'll talk about that later. Look, Let's we did get into our intros first, hey? I'll, I'll just yeah, give you an idea of some of the things we, Marion and I, will be discussing. Um, the idea of pill testing is fundamental harm reduction, and uh, there was some very interesting discussion on ABC Canberra social media and also on Karma social media about should pill testing be available in events at Canberra, which. Yep. Of course, so you know, our, our answer, it's yeah, going to be a yes. Yeah. But um, anyway, um, for those who haven't heard the show, uh, it's brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy, which is a peer-based community-controlled drug user organisation with over a couple of decades uh, trying to help people in the ACT. Um, and the aim of the a show... A few decades, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been yeah. a while. It's, it, this it's is been a while. Not just, um, uh, not just a recent issue. Not just a flesh issue. in the pan, yep. no. Um, so we do try to uh, encourage people to think about uh, more than the mainstream narrative about prohibition and the war on people who use drugs, which um, has been going for over five decades. Because um, the only way we're going to get change is for yeah. people to have a think about it. And um, We're up to six decades, actually. Five as the official war on drugs, but six was where it started from, 61. Well, too long. And we say that every yeah. week anyway, so, you know. Way too long, Mary. Yeah. Way too long. Long enough for us to say, oops, let's do something different yeah. anyway. <laughs> be Pretty worth a obvious, try. yeah. Yep. Okay, so Karma provides a wide range of services, as anyone who's listened to the show will know and a lot of the clients will know, but... For those who don't, um, it, we provide advocacy. That is somebody who can speak on your behalf. Sometimes it's very difficult to go to a service provider and ask for something for yourself. We are not used to us to understanding that we are entitled to good quality 
care and attention. Um, just because we are drug users does not mean that we are not entitled to health care or to attention of mm. any kind. Mm. Um, peer treatment support. That means that the people you're dealing with at Karma are like you, either ex-drug users or current drug users, and it's not necessary that you explain what drug use is all about and what it does. An issue is an issue, with or without the drug use, and we will deal with that issue rather than try to de- help you deal with your drug use because that's your business. That's, an, that's a given. Drug using is a given, right? It's a fact. We do education, creative arts, mentoring and provide referrals. If you want to go somewhere for treatment, that's fine. Or if you want to go somewhere to get some assistance with something like housing, well, good luck, but we'll give you a hand with that too. Uh, the Connection is Canberra's peer-based drug and alcohol service for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients, um, and they're co-located, both of them, at the Churches Centre in Belconnen, Shop 17, Level 1, 54 Benjamin Way. The drop-in is open again, and the hours are 10am to 4pm, Monday to Friday. The office phone number is 62533643. Now, that's important to remember, so we'll repeat it later on when we tell you a bit more about what's happening uh, currently in the way of things like the uh, opiate, the overdose uh, prevention um, workshops. Karma can assist people with a wide range of issues, including opioid maintenance treatment like methadone, buprenorphine, um, and the more recent long-acting injectable forms of buprenorphine, buvital and sublocade. Treatment for hepatitis C, there's a fabulous program going on at the moment. Um, still available with people um, going on, getting their drugs for free. The new drugs that are available are really fabulous. People who have not had their liver or have had liver treatment before um, and had the horrible side effects that came with it should Try again now because if you have liver ba- a bad liver, if you have hepatitis C, the high level of um, liver cancer that comes along with he- chronic hepatitis C is something that can be avoided. Your liver can be cured. Mm, with these new Hepatitis treatments. C can be cured and yep. it's important to know that. It is so important that... Even the current federal government have put it on the PBS, the treatment on the PBS. Yep. Okay, yep. so currently those drugs um, are available just for five dollars eighty, all right, six dollars eighty, depending upon which chemist you go to. But basically, for low low cost, low or no cost, it's you can cure your Hep C. You'd be crazy not to. Yeah. Absolutely, and. I've told you before and I'll tell you again, your liver can be cured to the extent that it is so good it can be used for liver transplant. Now, I wouldn't suggest that unless that was important, and it is. The impact of stigma and discrimination, important. Availability of detox and rehab services, 
also important. In fact, all issues faced adversely by people who are impacted by prohibition and the war on people who use drugs. The much-anticipated Jubin Women's Group will commence on the first Friday in May, which is the 6th of May. Due to having to follow COVID-safe protocols, numbers are strictly limited. As this is a closed group due to the nature of what's discussed, we invite you to call to put your name down on the list and secure your place. Your, yeah, Indeed. On that. no, that'll be a really important um, support group yeah. for women who... You know, having Which, problems women with... Women who have lost their children, basically, to CPS. Or, or are struggling Supposedly to. temporarily, but inevitably that will go on for some time. And it's difficult to get them back again. Yeah. It can the be very traumatic. The idea of the group is to teach you how to play the game with CYPS and get your children back. It's hard, but the women that are involved and running the group know what they're talking about because they've been in the same position themselves. Exactly. All right. Um, this news from the Drug War Front uh, broadcast reports on sto- news stories that are relevant to illicit drug users from Australia and also around the world. Many of the articles featured in the program come from other sources, including the mainstream media, and the contents of the broadcast uh, slash podcast do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of karma and the connection. Karma does not condone nor condemn drug use and we do not promote illegal activity. However, we recognise that drug use happens and will continue to happen regardless of laws and United Nations conventions. As such, Karma focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development. We seek to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the provision of programs that foster community development and the delivery of person-centred holistic health care. Karma advocates equity of health service delivery for all people, which, as we say every week, shouldn't be too much to ask. Yeah, indeed. Just to be treated like a normal human being. Just, yeah, want to get music first? Yeah, let's play a song. This is a great uh, Australian Aboriginal band, Warumpi Band, and this is uh, Blackfella, Whitefella. All right, that was the Warumpi Band and Blackfella, Whitefella. Welcome back to this week's News from the Drug War Front with Jeff and Marion in Studio One, 2XX, People Powered Radio, 98.3 FM. Um, just want to mention that uh, April the 7th is the World Health Organization's World Health Day. And Natasha actually gave me a whole lot of information to um, include for the show, which I seem to have mislaid. But um, on the website, it basically says. Um, that the theme for this year's World Health Day is Our Planet, Our Health. And it says, in the midst of a pandemic, a polluted planet, uh, increasing diseases like cancer, asthma, heart disease, um, will be the feature of uh, focus of World Health Day. And World Health Organization want to focus global attention on urgent actions needed to keep humans and the planet healthy, which is really timely given the um, IPCC um, report about it. And it seems, it seems obvious, really. I mean, I think... I keep hearing people, and I say it myself too, that all of this stuff that is happening around the world and to the world, to the earth, is really the earth getting back at us. For, for abusing for, it. For yeah. abusing Trashing it, yeah, yeah, and for the destruction that we've created. So, you know, we, that's why we always let the uh, show before us run over time. As much because it's, it's just important. as important as the harm reduction messages that we do. We think it's important, and it's 
Yeah, it needs to be taken care of, and it's true. Our planet is so entwined with our health. You look at things like, um, you know, lung disease and where that comes from, you know, that's to do with what we're doing with coal mining. And, we're not separate yeah. from the We the cannot. It's ecosystem. like saying, you know, your heart... If your heart is ill, it's only your heart, not yeah, the rest of your body. Impacts yeah? the whole the whole That's um, right. body. You, you cannot separate yourself from the earth. You cannot separate your fingernail from the rest of your body. You, anyway, everything is connected. Uh, just a few uh, other points. World Health Organization estimates that more than thirteen million deaths around the world each year are due to avoidable environmental causes, and this includes the climate crisis, which is the single biggest health threat facing humanity. And those who heard Earth Matters before our show um, would have heard um, some very uh, stark um, discussion about the, the challenges that we're facing. It's like action is now or never, and yep. the Secretary General of the UN. I saw him on TV this morning saying exactly that. Um, governments have made all sorts of promises to deal with emissions but have basically been lying or, you know, just... Well, they're not brave enough to stand up to fossil industry. Fuel. yeah. And to say to industry, sorry, no, we can't increase the amount of dirt, dirt you're digging up to get coal out because I, we don't want to make that big a hole. B, we really don't want to use coal. Because well, it's not a good generator a, no. of industry. I don't care how clean you say the coal is. Well, it's still coal. Nonsense, it's yeah. still dirty. Yeah. It's only relatively clean. So, you know, just we need to think about that much more seriously. But anyway, that's the focus of uh, this year's World Health Day. And um, if, you, if you want to um, check it out more, um, just yeah, tap in World Health Day 2022 into your phone or browser or laptop or whatever, and um, there's plenty of information. All right. Um, we mentioned that there's been discussion on social media about should pill testing be available at events in Canberra yes. um, over the there's weekend. There's been some good, uh, <clears throat> good work, good articles about that and good words about it. So the ABC Canberra on April the 1st, <clears throat> excuse me, um said, Pill Testing Australia is in discussion with the promoter of Groove and the Moo to provide festival goers at Exhibition Park with drug checking at the Canberra show for the third time. Emergency consultant Dr David Caldercott says the earlier trials in 2018 and 2019 were a clear success at reducing drug-related harm. Meanwhile, a six-month pilot of Australia's first fixed site for pill testing is expected to start in coming months in Canberra's city centre. And what, as we said, that's fundamental harm reduction. That's um, right. Look, it's the one thing that the government can do for the general public and for young people so that they live to be old people and their voters too, remember, and live to be older voters and think seriously about who they're going to vote for, and that's a big issue at the moment, um, we need to keep them alive. Yeah. If you want them to stay alive, then you make sure you get, make pill testing available for them because that's what's currently being used at festivals and raves, those kinds of pills. And the 
better the purity, the better quality the the entertainment that the person enjoys, but also the less likely they are to have any problems because of the because they are illegal. Despite the fact that they're illegal, they're still available. But you also need to realise that people are going to use drugs. They do. Yep. You so can't need... say don't use drugs because it doesn't make any difference. No, they we've still tried will that. happen. Yeah, we've, we've tried, tried it for sixty years and it hasn't worked. Yeah. No. Look, we we need a safe supply. People don't want to end up in an ambulance or a hospital or worse. They're there to have a good time. Youngsters go to That's music right. festivals to enjoy themselves with their friends and And they dance pay and... a lot of money to go to those festivals. They also pay a lot of money for these pills. They don't want to throw them out, but they would rather throw them out than die. Exactly. They want to know what the what's in those pills. They want to know what's in those drugs, whether they are clean enough to use and how much they should be using. Sometimes they over-pure. They don't expect that level of purity, but they will throw them out if they are crap. Well, if that's what not the trials really have shown. The stuff they yeah, try. People don't want to take poison. And there's been some really good feedback from yeah, that, there was, it, um, that gen- article. Yeah, generated enormous amount of comments. There was one from uh, Will Broussard who said more pill testing availability is definitely the way to go. Even better. Uh, legalisation would help make pill testing less necessary. I don't have to get pills tested when I buy them from the chemist. Legalisation, regulation and, yes, even taxation are much better options than continuing with the failed policies of stigmatisation and criminalisation. And Justin Watson said the current laws and policies have simply not worked. Uh, I know Zed Seselja thinks criminalising drug users is the way to go because looking tough gets them voted in, but it doesn't fix the issue. If pill testing helps to reduce deaths and also allow medical professionals a chance to talk to drug users and try to help them, well, then why not? I'm all for anything evidence-based, and if it has the wrong effect, we have to be prepared to admit that and try something else. Politicians don't like trying things, though, and getting them wrong. And another one was um, the ultimate uh, answer is safe supply and an end to prohibition. Human beings alter their consciousness for all kinds of reasons. The war on drugs in reality is a war on your own citizens. And the bottom line is that politicians, you don't get things right or wrong. You experience, you find that you have an experience that is successful or unsuccessful. If it's unsuccessful, try another try way. Else. Yeah. There are not just two ways of doing things or not doing things. No and yes, black yeah, and white. Just, yeah. Yes, black yeah. and white. doesn't work like that. There are a range of ways of approaching this issue. Talking about it is mostly most important, but providing things like the pill tent, pill testing tent at Groove and the Moo, or is a great sorry at it's a great um, idea. Canberra, yeah, yeah, is a great idea. Um, and there are more comments about it. Uh, Nathan Farley um, was: How many more people need to die before this becomes a real reality on a national level? Pill or drug testing saves lives, fact. Um, and then there were responses to that where uh, Jen Andrews and Nathan Farley talked to, talk to each other about it. It's about harm reduction largely. Um, and the idea of having pill testing stations everywhere is a good idea. Oh, absolutely. It saves lives and getting rid of this war on drug. And that became 
a discussion on the war on drugs, which is exactly what we aim to do yeah. in this get show, a discussion is going. get people to talk about that. And it, this whole issue of talking about that, I know that they've done it on the drum as well, talked about pill testing. And because they have limited time, they don't have the the amount of time that's required to actually discuss it in in Full uh, detail in depth. Or, yeah, yeah. But it's important but at least it's been that discussed, it yeah. is brought up at a national level and that people continue to talk about it. Pick one issue and drive it home. Drive it home to the point where it becomes something that people are prepared to take for granted, which is what we've done, unfortunately, with this war on drugs. We take it for granted that that's what's going to happen, but it has not been successful. We need to just realise that we can keep on the war on drugs, but that's been a failure. Let's try something else, and this pill testing is a great Great step in the right direction. A beginning, yeah. 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 Um, there's uh, what else is there? Okay, there's another one. There's no logical argument against it, against the pill testing. That is, people do it. Current laws and global efforts to stop it, that is, drug using or pill using, have not succeeded in the slightest. And it's time to face reality. That's pill drug using. Yes, any kind of harm reduction is positive. From another person. David Holmes, if it saves one life, then yes, it's worth it. The fact is that people will always use illicit drugs. Now, while I'm not condoning the use of illicit drugs, this is what David Holmes is saying, if there's a way to make it safer and save lives, then I think we're morally obligated to do it. So That's a good comment. That. That's a really I think good that's comment. that's really important. Yeah. Yes, and there's another one, Sonia at uh, Dragonfly Mosaics. Yes, and why I was still asking this question, you know, is this a good idea? (laughs) It involves saving lives. So, yes, it saves lives, so therefore it's important that we do it rather than assume it's not happening and ignore reality, which is what we've been doing with the planet. Hmm. Ignoring reality because it feels like it's too hard to do anything about. And that's just not true. I mean, if a politician, particularly a prime minister, thinks that he can't do anything about it, or more to the point, doesn't want to be seen to be doing anything about it, um, then the rest of the country is not going to think it's an issue either. Yeah, look, these... And that's just not the way to think about things. If you don't think you can help, then don't hurt. Mm. Well, actually, one of the things that came out in today's discussion about the uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report was that they were trying to sort of personalise it, not to say that it's individuals' responsibility, and, of course, it's corporations and governments that are making the problem... You know, or making the biggest influence on emissions, but um, you can do things in your own personal life to can. make a difference. You know, it, use the car less. You know, change your diet. Um, 
No. Look, I've noticed there are more people with bikes and with electric bikes, yeah. and and I just think that it's a really great idea. And those scooters, although they can be sometimes <laughs> dangerous, they're really useful. Yeah, they can get people from A to Z, you know, quite quickly. Yeah, um, and cheaply, much cheaper than a taxi. Definitely, but no, it was very heartening to see the um, the level of uh, debate that the social media reporting about should pill testing be available at events in Canberra uh, generated. And, you know, also on the Karma social media as well, it was, um, uh, I mean, that's that's the way to get people thinking about it is, um, yeah. issues like that. And the ACT is the first jurisdiction to have testing uh, or trialling. Well, and to have people applauding it on social media, the beauty of social media Whereas it can be a dark place to be, it can also be a very useful um, vehicle for information. That's how the Ukraine is managing to get people together and to get people to support. I'm through social media and, yeah. at what's happening in Ukraine. I'm very proud of the Ukrainians, and I think that we should do more than we can. They've heard about through social media the Bushmaster. Machines which are Australian designed, well, like he and asked they've for some, asked for yeah. them specifically, yeah. which yeah. is and they've been approved, and they're going to be tra- they're just figuring out how to transport them. You know, yeah. try a plane, a big plane, but you know, if the point is, things have answers. You only need to ask the question in the right way, or ask it out loud hmm. on television or through social media, where people are listening. The president of the Ukraine is getting standing ovations, and yet he's just sitting in front of his in front of his computer. Yeah, we've actually got a story about um, the how hard it is for people to practice harm reduction at the moment in Ukraine, given the, the Russian invasion oh, and indeed. and yes. just the you know the obstacles being faced, but um, the response and um, support for people has been quite extraordinary and. Um, yeah, rightly so. Yes, they've done very well. I'm very impressed. All right, well, we've got the uh, national news coming up in uh, about oh, 15 seconds. So um, yes. we will go to that and we'll return and uh, continue right. on with other stories. Yeah. yeah. So um, we shall be back after the national news. Yes. All right, welcome back to this week's news from the drug war front, brought to you by Karma and the Connection uh, from Studio One of Two Double X ninety eight point three FM. And uh, look, just before we go to a song, I just want to mention um, the opioid overdose recognition and response with naloxone training, also known as naloxone training. Uh, it's a bit of a bit of a mouthful. Is um, back into full swing. In fact, there's a training course today. Uh, I think starting at two o'clock at the early morning centre. But um, if people haven't done the training, um, just call, uh, call Karma on six two five three three six four three and put your name down, and uh, Dave or Damo will get back to you and uh, let you know when the next uh, training is on. Participants are trained to recognise the uh, symptoms and signs of an opioid overdose and are shown how to respond uh, to an overdose with naloxone. The workshop lasts about an hour. People who complete the workshop receive a take-home naloxone kit and are reimbursed $30 for their time and trouble. Um, So they they will be 
being held regularly uh, coming up in the future. And also the Karma Outreach Barbecues are back on um, every Monday at Watson, every Wednesday at Oaks Estate, every second Thursday at Ainsley Village and every Friday at Veterans Park in Civic. Um, so, yeah, um, Karma's back in full swing. All right, uh, I thought the next story we'd do is the the one from AODmediawatch.com, March the 31st. Wastewater report leaves out key information. So can we really trust its findings? And I know you were interested yeah. in this, Marion, because... We talked about this last week, just to what, ex- you know, to what extent can we trust what comes out uh, of government-funded things and the wastewater testing program was initially set up to estimate how many drug users there were in Canberra or in Australia and as a testing program for how many people used illicit drugs in any given place seems to me to be a very um, spurious um, way of collecting information. And pretty expensive too, I'd imagine. (laughs) One of the reasons why it is considered part of the government's strategy on the war on drugs is because it's a way of getting money out, spending it on effectively on drugs and harm reduction, and yet what does it produce? And the questions that were asked on Media Watch are really quite legitimate questions should be asked of everything. When government puts out information, how can we trust it when... I don't think scientists would trust the way this wastewater testing um, estimates estimates anything, let alone drug use. Well, I think you'll be pleased with Professor Lee's take on it. She says the National Wastewater Drug Monitoring Program has released its latest report and you would be, for, be forgiven for being uh, a little confused. The media release and the report both say that methamphetamine is, quote, the most consumed illicit drug. But isn't cannabis the most commonly used illicit drug? Well, yes, it is, by far. So why the difference? Oddly, the report leaves cannabis out of most figures, which has the effect of inflating methamphetamine use, leading to the predictable sensationalised media headlines. So with this kind of obvious omission, how much stock can we really put in the wastewater analysis report? Australia's National Wastewater Drug Monitoring Program started back in 2016 and is conducted through the Australian Criminal Intelligence Commission, or ACIC. It reports on levels of metabolised drugs detected in our wastewater systems at undisclosed locations around Australia and covers around 54% of the Australian population. Keep in mind that wastewater data indicates the overall quantity of drug use at a community level, i.e. how much of a drug is used, not prevalence, which is the proportion of the population who actually are using a drug. So a large number of people could use a small amount each or a small number of people could each use a large amount and the results will be very similar. It also can't tell us anything about the harms or patterns of use. Quantity and prevalence are not good indicators of harm. The program reported a decrease in detection of methamphetamine, MDMA, MDA, oxycodone and fentanyl and an increase in cannabis and heroin in the wastewater. The report puts these changes down to pandemic-related border closures and policing, which is one reasonable explanation. Page five, do you want to take it on from there? Yeah, that's all read here. Um, 
the changes may also have been influenced by the context in which certain drugs are typically used. Stimulants tend to be party drugs and with much of the country under some kind of restriction, there were fewer opportunities to use. Cannabis tends to be a stay-at-home kind of drug and there was a lot more of that during the pandemic. The drivers of drug trends are many and complex. To really, uh, to really make the types of interpretations in this report and to fulfil the stated aim of addressing the harms, the results need to be put in a broader context by triangulating and ideally timing data collection to coincide with other data sources. The report notes that the restrictions put in place as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic severely constrained drug markets, but that, quote, organised crime groups continued to find way to supply illicit drug markets during the pandemic and to generate significant illicit revenue through this activity, end quote. For me, this just further demonstrates the futility of prohibition. And the, and the need to take a better approach to reducing drug-related harm. Couldn't agree more on that point. Of course that's, not. That's unlike most other data sources, data sources about drugs in Australia, which generally present an analysis of the results with little or no interpretation. The wastewater report tries to make sense of the data. The problem is that the conclusions are often an overreach going way beyond the available evidence. The ACIC says, quote, our report helps address harmful drug consumption through improving knowledge about these influences so that tailored supply, demand and harm reduction efforts can be developed and implemented by decision makers on a range of drug and public health issues. For this to actually happen, the ACIC need to improve their interpretation and reporting of data by providing suitable context for findings and triangulating data with other data sources on drugs. What you said last week. Indeed. It's strange that. They must have been listening, Jeff. All data sources have strengths and limitations, which is why it's so important to both contextualise findings based on the data collection method and make any limitations clear to the reader. That just actually should be the case for all, all research yeah. results, yeah. yeah? Yeah. They should always say what's the aim of the test of the research and what are the outcomes show and what is the process that makes the outcome relevant to the aims. Context is everything. Absolutely. All data, source in, all data sources have strengths and limitations, which is why it's so important to both contextualise findings based on the data collection method and make any limitations clear to the reader. It's unhelpful to make speculative conclusions and interpretations that go outside the data. Exactly. Well said, Professor Lee. She's Director of 360 Edge and an adjunct professor at the National Drug Research Institute at Curtin University. And um, it's 
excellent that she's written this piece because when that those reports come out, the media tend to cherry-pick the most sensational aspects of the report and don't give any context as to... No, uh, and, and yet they've already been cherry-picked. Mm. Yeah, the, the releasing of the data itself has been cherry-picked because it says quite clearly in, you know, Professor Lee's paper that they've left out marijuana use. Completely, Which is the most commonly and used drug, as she says. You know. Absolutely, unless she's assuming that marijuana is no longer an illegal <laughs> drug, and you know, I'd love to see where that's the truth. Yeah, except no. in Canberra, where it is not so much illegal as illicit, in that it's not okay to use it, but it's not not okay to use it. Well, you can grow We're two a bit plants outside. About yeah. it here, yeah. yeah. But no, excellent piece um, from Professor Lee, and it it, it really and very does very useful, I think, to the debate on harm reduction too, and on the I think the debate on what kind of uh, research is actually acceptable, um, and I bet you. Professor Lee is finding it pretty hard to get, because she's a woman, finding it hard to get money for funding, funding from particularly from the drug, drug data because the National, um, National Research Council um, don't hand out money to women no, it's willy-nilly. Difficult. It's difficult it's, to get it's money. It's a boys' club, yeah. largely. Yeah. But if you are a man and you apply for funding, you're much more likely, despite the fact that some of the research is just, as this report says, just out of context and therefore not necessarily realistic. Really it doesn't that, tell us that anything. Useful. yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right, let's go to a song. Um, haven't played uh, Sugar Man for a while, so let, let's um, play Rodriguez's classic uh, from his debut album, Cold Fact, Sugar Man. All right, it's coming up about 19 minutes after 11, and uh, that was uh, Rodriguez and Sugar Man. It's off-putting because of the way it, it fades, it fades out so yeah. much. And, yeah. You know, but you think about, if you're thinking about the lyrics, and it's basically Sugar Man going away, yeah, or you going off into Sugar Man territory. It's kind of a, it has a meaning, yeah, a literal meaning as well as a metaphorical one. The whole album was pretty brilliant. Mm, the um, next uh, article, you want to go on to that? International yeah? story about Ukraine. It's an international, and we really, it is appropriate, April 2022, it's really important that we talk about Ukraine. Soldiering on in Ukraine, harm reductionists remain resolute against all odds. This is uh, from the bulletin uh, pennington.org.au. Mentioning, mentioning harm reduction and war in the same breath seems almost nonsensical. Yet when one sets in the other... Uh, when one sets in, the other becomes more crucial than ever for many people affected by drugs. When on February the 24th this year, Russia launched the most recent attack, attack in its protracted campaign against Ukraine and followed up with an armed invasion, harm reduction services and the people they serve became immediate collateral damage. Nobody knows better the situation on the ground in Ukraine than Alexei. Whoa, hang on, Kvetskovsky, head of the Volna Donbas Resource Centre of the All Ukrainian Association of People with Drug Addiction, a frontline worker 
in the literary military sense as bombs dropped around him in the southeast of the country, not far from Donetsk, a key city in the breakaway or separatist regions backed by Russia since 2014. Oh, the poor guy. Aletsky, I spoke at the first in the first week of March to UN AIDS about the challenges of providing support in a war zone. Quote, I'm tired of fear and fleeing, he said. I've decided I'll carry on doing what I've been doing for the past 14 years, defending the rights of key communities, notably people who inject drugs and people in need. That's heroic, really. And he's very brave of him because if you have been in a position where you've been taken over by basically a non-drug, using nation like Russia, well, which an, is what an, Putin says. Anti-harm we reduction. We have no drug yeah. use. Why should we have harm reduction? It. I mean, I think it's very brave of him to come out, stand Indeed. up and say this. Eight years ago, he said, I was there when Russian Federation attacked the eastern part of Ukraine. That's when they went on the Caspian Sea. They are now self-proclaimed republics. I still work in four cities in the Luhansk region, which are controlled by the Ukrainian government, located almost on the front line. I don't Severodonsk, think we we'll make you read those. But they're dreadful yeah. and really hard for people with a mouth like mine. Lozansk, Rubis, oh yeah, yeah. and Kremlina. Four That's city, not bad. Four cities close to the Four cities the front close line. to the front line, yeah. yes. <laughs> Alexia said that, that as a non-governmental organisation or NGO, the Volna Donbass Resource Centre received and then delivered both opioid substitution therapy, OST, which methadone, buprenorphine and the like, and everyday food and water. And he's quoted as saying, we have enough OST until the month's end. That's about 28 days. And then I really don't know what we'll do. Access to anti uh, retroviral therapy is also problematic in some cities. It's yeah, that's the one for hep C. Yeah, yeah. Hep C. Basically, we look at who lacks what and if there are risks of interruption, end quote. Alexei said very few people have been able to leave the area, largely because they could not afford to pay to do so. Well, some, yeah. We turned to international organisations and received assistance from the Eurasian Harm Reduction Network, the Eurasian Network of People Who Use Drugs and Volna, and that's helped to provide urgent assistance. Good for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good on them. And I think a lot of people have um, donated um, money and resources um, and any um, OST that they could um, provide. Yeah, good on them. What sustains a worker such as Alexei under such extreme circumstances? He says, I go to work every day. People ask me if I fear for my life. My answer to that is when you solve someone's problems, you unknowingly forget about fear and war. Then solving the problem of a person from the community becomes the key objective for you. So you set out to help in any way. What's harm reduction worth in Ukraine? An eight-year analysis of harm reduction in Ukraine based on data from five national surveys conducted in 2009 with 3,900 people, 2011 
with uh, nine to nine and a half thousand people. 2013, another nine and a half thousand people. 2015, same number of people. And 2017, 10,000 people revealed in September 2020 that people who injected drugs and were reached by a harm reduction NGO such as Volner Donbass Resource Centre had consistently better outcomes in HIV prevention, testing and treatment when compared with people who did not have any interaction with a non-government organisation. Makes sense, doesn't it? Does it? make perfect sense. That's why we have peer education programs in Australia and they have become standardised, yeah? And why they're successful? Because people feel... That's right. They can people trust... People feel they can trust what's coming out of the workers' mouths. And they don't feel stigmatised or judged or... Yeah, no. Exactly. Although the prevalence of HIV was higher amongst clients of NGOs at 29% than among clients of non-NGOs at just under 18%, they were more likely to be receiving medical treatment. All survey respondents had injected drugs in the past 30 days, um, were aged 14 or above and lived in one of 31 cities representing all of Ukraine's regions. Roughly 80% of participants were men and 20% were women. That's interesting. I wonder if that's because women are more reluctant to identify well if it's anything like australia yeah. jeffrey we had a 75 percent, 25 percent uh estimate you know rough estimate of people turning up to agencies in australia and largely it had to do with the status of women uh in the country yeah and who was prepared to t- why people went to agencies Generally, it was because they were under pressure of criminal charges and men tended to be the subject of that rather than women. Women didn't talk about it and they were discriminated against more and kept under the thumb of the men they were with. No, that makes sense. Uh, In total, about one-third of people surveyed in each of the five years were NGO clients. Amongst NGO clients being tested for HIV, using condoms during sex and using sterile needles when injecting were higher, they were also more likely to be on opioid substitution treatment. This was despite the cohort being generally financially disadvantaged, older and and more likely to have served time in prison. Mm. A bleak look under the Russian rule. Yeah, this is kind of an understatement, if ever there was one. Should Russia triumph and seize control of Ukraine as a whole, the outlook would be especially dismal for approximately 317,000 Ukrainians who inject heroin regularly. Writing for The Conversation in March, Ian Hamilton, Associate Professor of Addiction, the University of York, and Julia Buxton, Professor in Criminology at the University of Manchester, both in the UK, said that as of January the 14th this year, 14,868 people in Ukraine were receiving OST such as methadone or buprenorphine. Quote, Ukraine has been funding these, these treatment services since 2017, the pair said. In that year, it also rapidly expanded its service for people in need of sterile syringes, condoms and peer support or counselling. The World Health Organisation recommended minimum for harm reduction among people who use drugs and those at risk of HIV. Quote, the Russian invasion has severely disrupted access to these specialist treatment, drug treatment services 
Before the war, some people would collect their methadone daily, but the Ministry of Health has advised that a 15 to 30 today supply should be given. That's a good development, isn't it? It is. So, it's an interesting development too. Well, at least if you're given a month's supply, it gives you chance to well, sort gives of... gives you a chance to either reduce slowly and possibly spread it around a bit. That's, yeah? yeah, that's a good um, point. Or sell it however you want to do it, but maybe reduce the harm by having an, a, a dose that you can trust and then possibly reduce yourself yeah. a little bit and help somebody, yeah. get somebody else a leg up. No, yeah? I think it's really wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Um, this helps reduce the number of trips to services, which some parts of the country were very risky, which in some parts were very risky. Yet even at this early stage of the war, ensuring people can secure medication is proving difficulty. Difficult, rather. Ian and Julia said that parts of Ukraine were not faring so well and were either running out of supplies or had lost contact with local drug treatment teams. Uh-oh. They're probably dead, half of them, darling. Deprived of their daily supply of OST, Ukrainians would experience withdrawal on top of significant physical and emotional stress generated by Russian attack, they said. Russian President Vladimir Putin is unequivocal in his disdain for people who use drugs and has gone as far to describe Ukraine's leadership as being a gang of drug addicts. He actually said junkies, Jeffrey, if you remember. Yeah. I quoted him. Junkies and drug addicts and neo-Nazis. His own government's drug policy has provided zero assistance to the 8 million Russians whose drug use is considered problematic. I would consider that most drug use in Russia is problematic. Um, 40% of new HIV infections in Russia are linked to injecting drug use amongst the the estimated 3 million Russians who ingest dr- inject drugs, many of whom do not have access to harm reduction services such as needle and syringe programs. Well, the official policy is they don't think harm reduction is a valid um, concept. Jeffrey, I was at the WHO conference when Russia made its report. They don't have any drug users. Oh, in okay. The, in, okay. I mean, <laughs> Just, this was 1989, yeah. I remember. But they don't have any drug users in Russia. You just ask them. Um, but then we've had pieces from the the dark web or pieces from um, on this on social network that tells people how to deliver drugs mm. illicitly and gives people an idea of how to access yeah. drugs. Oh, it's drug use in I Russia, mean, of course drug there is. use is a fact. Yeah. We yeah. say that every week. Just saying And it. to think that it's just not yeah. because Putin says, says it so. isn't yeah. and you're breaking the law if you disagree with him yeah. is just ludicrous. Okay, next um, uh, uh, subheading is captive targets. With an estimated 2.3 million people having left Ukraine's refugees by mid-March, I think it's approaching 4 million now, isn't it? Yeah, Um, something like that. One group of Ukrainians unable to flee ahead of Russia's advancing troops is prisoners. 
The Ukrainian government's decision to release selected inmates with military experience to join the national defence has liberated a small number of individuals on a case-by-case basis, but the majority uh, remain institutionalised in a country whose ability to provide healthcare is receding fast. In 2019, the prevalence of HIV amongst prisoners was said to be uh, a bit over 7%. Before the onset of the Russian attack, both antiretroviral therapy and OST were were provided routinely and anyone whose health was affected by their use of drugs, including narcotic or psychotropic substances or alcohol, was entitled to be treated. Since May 2021, Ukrainian prisoners have also had the right to buy and possess syringes, needles, condoms and other harm reduction supplies. That's Mm. quite... Amazing. It is, yes. Eight years ago, as forces advanced through the Donetsk region, 700 detainees, including some who required medical treatment for HIV, were left stranded in the village of (laughs) Chornokino. Yep. Vadim Pivovarov. Pivovarov. Executive Director of the Association of Ukrainian Human Rights Monitors on Law Enforcement says there are real fears now that a similar situation will arise if plans are not put in place to safely evacuate populations from correctional facilities throughout Ukraine. And the bottom line is that if just because you say it doesn't exist doesn't stop it from happening. No. So if you say HIV doesn't exist in my country, how come people are being sick with it? How come it's being transmitted? If you say that we have no injecting drug users, then how can people be getting HIV from sharing needles, from injecting drugs? It's just, it's crazy. The article goes on appealing for support abroad. As millions of Ukrainians cross their national border to Moldova or Poland, Moldova, by the way, is the poorest country in the European Union. And the they're poorest taking country, Ukrainians. And they're taking yeah. people straight over the border and sharing everything with them. Ukraine's Ministry of Health is pleading with these two countries, along with nearby Romania, to reach agreement on how care can be continued for people who have been in treatment for tuberculosis or HIV. Okay, what am I up to? 11, right. With an estimated prevalence of 1%, Ukraine's adult HIV rate is the second highest in both Europe and Central Asia and accounted for 9% of new infections in the region in 2016. Injecting drug use remains the single biggest driver of HIV spread. I wonder if... mm, The International Narcotics Control Board has also encouraged the Moldovan, Polish and Romanian governments to ensure OST is made available in Ukrainian refugees, refugees. But as yet, it's not clear whether any practical progress has been made. Yeah, look, I've been um, following on um, Facebook um, efforts made by um, harm reduction workers in Ukraine to try and access OST suppliers and, you know, at least, you know, even if you can't get the full dose, at least get somebody, you know, half a dose. Or, yes, yeah. Because, I mean, on top of the, the fear and stress and anxiety of being invaded, to think you could then suddenly be forced into withdrawals is just um, beyond imagination. Oh, look, I just, I can't imagine what would happen if what we were doing was uh, 
you know, what would happen to the medics, for instance, Jeffrey? If uh, it frightens me to think what might happen to people mm. when you're fighting a war against a place like Russia, your heightened sense of vulnerability when you are a drug user or an injecting drug oh. user would be phenomenal. Yeah. Your fear of being taken over by a guy who runs a country like Russia, although it's a lousy strategist, would be very, very heightened. You would be feeling as if you should just run as yeah. far as you can and as fast as you can. I Do think, not live in that country. I think plenty of people have tried to find um, places to go that can yeah. take them. Anyway, head to Netherlands. <laughs> yeah, that would be a good choice. Uh, we'll go to a song. I thought... Um, Rolling Stone's Gimme Shelter might be uh, an appropriate one uh, for that with so many Ukrainians looking for shelter. Oh, yes, indeed. Very appropriate, Jim. Here's the Stones. All right, that was Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones. It's about 19 minutes to midday. You're listening to News from the Drug War Front with Jeff and Marion in Studio One at 2XX People Powered Radio, 98.3 FM. I thought we'd try and end on a positive one after that very depressing... Yeah, we um, have said some very depressing things today, but... Let's face it, we need to line up behind Ukraine and really it can't. you can't say much in the way of positive stuff about Ukraine except go for it, you guys, you know. And keep people yourselves are trying. together. People yep. are, we're with you, we support you and we wish we could do more but we are... We don't make the decisions, no, so it's, it's easy for got... us to say that, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. All right, this is uh, from uh, yesterday uh, by Melda Cotton. The US House of Representatives has passed a bill to decriminalise cannabis nationwide. Anyone is um, aware of the status of uh cannabis in the US, it's still Schedule 1, no medical benefit whatsoever, no. which is rather bizarre. But yeah. anyway... Um, it goes on to say the bill was passed through the House of Reps with 220 in favour and 204 opposed. The US House of Representatives has cleared a bill to decriminalise cannabis, paving the way for the drug to be legalised across North America and removed from the list of controlled substances. The Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement, or MORE Act, <laughs> promises to eliminate non-violent federal marijuana convictions for anyone who manufactures, distributes or possesses the substance. It aims to establish procedures for wiping previous convictions from an individual's criminal record and will impose a 5% tax on the sale of cannabis products. Money to be made. There is potentially a lot of money for the, to be made for the federal government if state-level experience is anything to go by. California was one of the first jurisdictions to legalise marijuana use recreationally, with, <clears throat> with the move generating more than $1.34 billion in marijuana tax revenue over the following 24 months. Which is probably good because they would have needed that money to put out the fires, yeah? Well, yeah. They're, because yeah. really they were bankrupt as a state... And um, Donald Trump wasn't going to give them any money to help no, put out the fires. Didn't like California, did he? No, not at all. Legal cannabis sales in that state are projected to reach $54 billion US dollars by 2025. The landmark bill could also potentially save the US government hundreds of millions of dollars, I'd say, more than that, of, of dollars in law enforcement and incarceration costs. The Congressional Budget Office estimated it would reduce the federal deficit by nearly $4 billion over the next 10 years. 
controlled substance. At present, um, as I mentioned, marijuana is listed as a Schedule One drug under the Controlled Substances Act, meaning it has a high potential for abuse, has no currently accepted medical use in treatment in the US, and has a lack of accepted safety for use under medical supervision. If the Democrats' bill is passed by the Republican Senate and signed by President Joe Biden, it would remove the drug from this act and align the treatment of cannabis possession nationwide. I think that they really need to realise that they are basing the decisions and the information on the uh, research undertaken by uh, the... FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, for 15 years on cannabis mm. until they found something they could say was negative about it. They didn't present any positive evidence because if they presented any positive outcomes, they weren't going to get any more funding for the research. Anyway, the article goes on, small business loans. The proposed bill would make administration in loans and services available to legitimate cannabis-related businesses while setting standards for them. As cannabis remains a federally controlled substance on par with much harder drugs such as heroin, banks insured by the US government have traditionally been reluctant to make their services available to the growing marijuana industry. And we did an article on that last week, actually. Sales in the marijuana industry totaled $26 billion in 2020 and are projected to more than double by 2025, according to the bill. But those transactions have been conducted largely in cash without the aid of banking services. Well, that's because banks refuse to use them because they're not allowed to take of the large fed- amounts of money be- and because of the source. And the federal law, which and the federal still has law. it illegal, so they're that's scared right. of, of um, falling foul of federal. Falling foul yeah. of federal, yeah, banking laws. Well overdue, Bill. U.S. Democrat a Democratic congressman, Gerald Nadler, who has sponsored the bill, said it was well overdue at a national level. He's quoted as saying, For far too long we have treated marijuana as a criminal justice problem instead of as a matter for personal choice and public health. Whatever one's views are on the use of marijuana for recreation or medicinal, medicinal use, the policy of arrest, prosecution and incarceration at the federal level has proven both unwise and unjust. Hear, hear. It is not yet known if the bill will sail through the Senate, with some Republicans questioning why cannabis was under the microscope in preference of, quote, higher national priority issues, such as food, rising food and fuel prices and the Russian-Ukraine war. Other members have claimed that marijuana is a, quote, gateway drug, another old one, which allows users to eventually move on to more addictive substances. The bill needs to secure 60 votes to pass the Senate. So it's going to require some Republican support. To cross the floor, yeah. Latest effort. This week's proposal is the latest effort to decriminalise marijuana across the US. In December 2020, a version of the bill cleared the House but stalled in the Senate. 
the recreational use of marijuana has become legal in 18 states, while a total of 37 states and four territories allow the use of it for medicinal purposes and medical purposes. The drug remains illegal at a federal level. Well, at least there's some promising signs that this there time... There are some promising signs, and it's important to know that they have come up with legitimate therapeutic reasons yeah. for using cannabinoid product or cannabis or cannabinoid products. And I just think that needs to be taken notice of. It's nice to hear Winston Churchill was right, and we say, and had been saying for ages, the Americans will, after they've tried everything else, will eventually do the right thing. Yeah, I wish they'd got the message a little bit earlier, but better late than never. Well, yeah, before they'd spread it round to everybody else. Yeah. And, in fact, refused to give people funding um, if they made drugs like marijuana available. Yeah. Or, in fact, if they um, provided um, STI prevention programs. Yeah. They, in fact, re- refused funding yeah. for their health services that they were funding overseas, away from the United States. Yeah. It was really horrendous some of the ways that the CIA used to manipulate other countries by simply refusing to fund their health services if they didn't adhere to, you know... Moral Genesis, yeah. You know, number one. I know. God created the earth in six days and then rested on the seventh. Um, Look, I'll play a little up-tempo song and then we'll um, wrap up this week's show. This is Queen and Crazy Little Thing Called Love. It's a nice (laughs) up-tempo song. It's a nice song. Yeah, it's a good one, little yeah. song, isn't it? Crazy thing, little yeah. thing called Love by Queen. Um, probably got time just to this uh, piece that um, I found yesterday. Cocaine prices expected to rise up to South Australia's largest drug haul, forcing users to turn to meth. Uh, an expected hike in the price of cocaine after the largest drug bust in South Australian history. And it says uh, cocaine prices are expected to rise in a shortfall in supply to see more people turn into meth. Following the biggest uh, bust in South Australian history, a key industry body has warned. South Australia's Network of Drug and Alcohol Services exec- Executive Director Michael White said the local drug network could see a, a, would see a ripple effect following the seizure. The AFP guarded 416 kilogram cocaine haul while addressing the media following the seizure worth... 250 million on March 21st. The drugs were dumped several nautical miles off the York Peninsula, discovered floating in about 50 metres of water in watertight containers. Mr White said no serious changes in the sale of drugs in South Australia were expected after the seizure, but a lack of supply may have an impact on sale quality and price. It may drive up the price uh, a bit may drive up a bit of the price and it may have a perverse outcome, which is that people can't access cocaine use um, Use, they will then use something else. Yes, okay. Uh, cocaine prices are expected to rise and a shortfall in supply could see more people turn to meth following the biggest bust in South Australian history. A key industry body has worked up down the wrong page. Okay. The market, no wonder I couldn't see where you were reading. The market is not going to shrink, so that it may result in the market diversifying and sometimes that can cause a different set of problems. And that may be that people change their primary drug so they might move from cocaine to methamphetamine or they might move to pharmaceutical or some other synthetic drug. People in the manufacturing process, this is a quote, will try and bulk it up, the cocaine, 
so there might be an impact on quality. Land, air and water searches were part of the multi-jurisdictional approach dubbed Lithgow involving South Australian Police, the AFP, the Australian Border Force, the Australian Criminal Intelligence Commission and the Department for Home Affairs. Mr White says that uh, changes in regulations of drugs were, with a heavier focus on police work such as Operation Lithgow would be a good step forward in the state. That might look like the decriminalisation of personal use without legalisation because they would remain illegal to import and illegal to sell so that you are able to control the organised criminal element. People believe that drugs were dumped by a large grain carrier named Kipros Bravery between March the 14th and 15th. Four Filipino men were charged over the bus and faced the Port Adelaide Magistrate Court on February where they did not apply for bail and are due to appear late again in again late in April. Ian Gillan Dizon, Alcris Dente Mabini, Mark Terranova Enriquez and Angelito de Valarque Balansag. You'd think I would know how to speak a little bit better than that. Um, were charged with importing or exporting a border-controlled drug or plant. Those arrested are understood to be crew members of Kipros Bravery. That was the name of the boat. Well, that's uh, the last story we've got for you this week. I hope um, there was something of interest. Definitely thought the Ukraine story was um, very uh, worthwhile. It was certainly relevant and timely, and I'm glad that we had it to... um, so that we could at least speak to our Ukrainian colleagues and say we support you and we hope that we can find ways as a European um, harm reduction organisation and peer organisation has with any luck input. We'll have some kind of input to that too. Indeed. All right, we'll leave you as ever with the theme song, uh, Golden Brown. Thank you, Marion. Look after each other and we love you. And And we'll talk to you next week, Talk to you next week. Bye for now. Bye.